How's that sound? All right. So I, I got this new, really portable. Whoa, did you hear? Whoa. Let's turn those levels down. Just bear with me. Um, yes. Ooh. All right, sorry. I got this new recording thing. Uh, it's a lot more portable. And I don't need... Hold on. <laughs> Welcome to Ink Pulp Audio. Where it's amateur hour. Uh, yeah, so I don't need a microphone. I can use microphones, and I have used microphones uh, when I was in Boston. But I want to try this out to see what the sound quality is like. And I can hear myself. I, I think it sounds okay. In my earphones, it's a little echoey, but I think that's because of the two channels. Alan, am I doing all right? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I don't like that sound. Maybe I'll just use microphones from now on. I don't know, Alan, if you can send me an email, let me know what I'm doing wrong. I got my recording levels maybe too high. I get too close. Maybe I just need to back away and be comfortable. It's kind of odd recording this without a microphone. So uh, for those of you who haven't turned this off because it was awful, welcome. Uh, this is just another one of my intros. And, uh, yeah, I think last time I was talking about, two times ago, I was talking about kind of taking an inventory on myself, where I was, where I want to be, and I just kind of realized a lot. I wasn't where I wanted to be, and I just kind of let life push me around to a point where I ended up somewhere I didn't want to be. And I had piles of shit all around me that needed attention, metaphorically and physically. So I felt really good when I became aware of it and made a plan of attack. And I think last time I was starting to have the realization that while I had the plan, I was still obligated to a work schedule that I had agreed to before I had this self-inventory. And part of the inventory was I need to schedule myself in, in better ways, in more healthy ways. So I'm not just working all the time and not looking at a schedule like a robot, but looking at it like a human being. So here I am still under this old schedule, but with the realization of what I need to do. And while I have made a lot of changes for my future and they're coming to fruition, um, I'm still stuck in the old ways. So it's a hard place to be. It's like being in a long, dark tunnel. And at the end is the light. So the light is there, but this is a really long tunnel, just getting through this last issue. So I just have my moments where just it fucking just crashes on me, weighs on me, and it just gets me down. But I'll get there. 
I'll get there. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh, and I can feel it everywhere. I got, I think I've talked about this tendonitis in my elbow that's just killing me. I'm going to physical therapy. I think, I, I don't know if I talked about this. So the electrical current left a nice burn in my arm. And then the next week, the laser gave me a second degree burn. That's because I have tattoos on my arm, and apparently the tattoo ink absorbs the energy of the laser, which my physical therapist should have been aware of. And it was hurting, and we were both kind of wondering why it hurt, because it's not supposed to hurt. Now that the blisters have kind of popped, and I was left with scabs and infections in both of those fucking holes in my arm. Well, now the ink has fallen out. And it's a tiny little area. I can get it fixed, but it just pisses me off. The ink has fallen out in one little area where the laser was hitting it too much. I thought it was a scab. It was like hanging off, and I pulled it off, and I realized it was just dry ink and that it was gone. And I understand. I mean, it doesn't... You know, obviously, when people want to get tattoos removed, they have lasers or a laser treatment to do that. And so it makes sense. So I did some research, and duh, laser. Uh, that's where I find out that tattoos absorb the energy of the laser, and I tell my physical therapist that. He's like, no, nah, I don't think that's true. They would have taught me that. And then I go back, and he's like, yeah, I talked to my laser guy, and he was like, yeah, we trained you on that. Don't you remember? And he just... I don't know, I guess he forgot. I don't fucking know, but I, I don't say anything. I don't stand up for myself like I should. I, I, mean, I don't know what to do. I'm going in today again. I'm going to sit him down and be like, look, you've given me two fucking infected wounds. My arm feels a little bit better, not totally better. But what the fuck? I mean, what do I do? It's like... The main reason I don't say anything is because I don't know what I want out of it. I don't want to, I don't have time to be researching another physical therapist and hoping they work. I don't know, I might just try myofascial massage and see what that does. I have a feeling that would work better anyway. I don't know. I'm just in a funk, so I'm bitching and moaning on here. And, uh, yeah. There's a lot of light coming down at the end of this tunnel. I'm working on a lot of really good and exciting things, one of which is the Patreon for this podcast. The podcast is doing great. I'm recording new episodes with a f intensity I haven't had in a long time. I'm banking episodes. I mean, I'm pretty much right now, it's mid-August. I'm banked through early 2018 and... In a couple more months, I'll be banked through June. So that'll be good for the Patreon because I'll be able to offer that early episode release and I'll have those mini episodes mid-month. So that'll be good. Um, I'm talking to a writer who I'm a fan of who is um, well-known in, in this industry and has been for a very long time. And uh, he knows his shit. And he's actually a good writer. Those are few and far between these days in comics. 
Um, so I'm trying to get something going with him. I'm taking control and making moves, and I'm trying to work on books that I like so that it doesn't feel like work, so that's enjoyable. I got to get through the tunnel, though. Uh, I'm doing a lot more shows. I'm sure you noticed that, which is also allowing me to record more podcasts, which, again, <clears throat> when I'm on Patreon, please support that in in one of the pledge tiers because if I can... If I can make some money off of this podcast it allows me to invest more in it in terms of time and I think Patreon is going to be the answer for that I think it's going to help a lot so please I mean I'm going to offer a tier as low as uh, I think $3 a month um I don't know what will be offered there, but even if it's something as, uh, if if the $3 tier is you're just going to get early release episodes and you're like, I don't need to pay $3 a month to hear it early, if you could think about just doing it to support the podcast, that would be really helpful. I, I mean, this podcast is something and it has a fan base and I'm working on growing it now. And I would like to see this continue, and I'd like to see it continue to grow. And we've become accustomed to having things for free, whether it comes to music or whatever. But I think the future is, and I think if you can bring yourself to just get involved for a little bit of money, I mean, $3 a month, that's under $100 a year. It's, it's a lot under $100 a year. It's under $50 a year um, as a fan. I mean, look, I, we could all download free music, but I choose not to. Uh, there are services like Spotify now, which I pay for, and I know the artists get a portion of that. So, yeah, just think about that. Look, it's going to be free on iTunes. If you're just a casual fan or you just listen to it every now and then, I get it. But if you're an every episode person, please consider that. I'll have other tiers. You know, the next tier up will probably uh, allow you to hear the mini episodes. And then I'll have a top tier, which will involve more of my artwork. I feel like the two lower tiers are more for just fans of the podcast. And then the higher tiers will be fans of the podcast and my artwork. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. So, yeah, it's been a, been a little bit of a challenging week for me. And I'll tell you what, what really doesn't help. And I, I haven't talked about this too much. But the shit show that is our president. Charlottesville happened this week. And. I mean, I don't have words. I, I just dumbfounded. I mean, when. Donald Trump won the office. I mean, look, the whole time he was running, I couldn't believe what was going on. Shocked that anyone would get behind this. The charlatan. I mean, it was obvious that he was just putting on a show. I don't know how people didn't see that 
or just could look past that. But when he won, I said, look, he won. He won fairly. So now it's time to give him a chance. Maybe he did what he had to do to win the election, and maybe it won't be horrible. I, do, I can't say that I thought there'd be any good, but I was giving, I was having an open mind. I mean, it's the best thing you can do. And six months in, I mean, just the shit show that's been going on. And of course, at first, I was like trying to decipher, like, is the media... I mean, both sides are at fault, is what I, what I would try to say. Is I can't put this all on him. I mean, yeah, there... But after this week... I, I just... It's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. He went out the first time and said on both sides on both sides and I, I mean I guess a piece of me tries to understand that like okay I mean yeah okay so if both sides are being agitators okay but one side is just driven by utter hate And the other side is just trying to stand up for themselves against the hate. Like, I'm seeing things like to hate white supremacists because they hate others makes no sense. I'm seeing that. Like, it, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of fucking sense. And then he came back with a written statement that it seemed he felt forced into because of the pressure of the media and people around him. And while that statement was more along the lines of what should have been said, it just felt insincere. It wasn't sincere. But he said it, okay. Did what he had to do. Then he comes out pissed off, unhinged, and just levels everything because he's angry that he felt cornered and pressured to say something. And the child that he is had to go out and have his way. To him, it's more important to spew from the mouth whatever the fuck he wants to say. That's more important than doing what's right. This man cares more about himself than anything. That's my take on it. Is he a racist? I, I'm not. I'm not convinced he is. I think he's an idiot. I think he's not a bright man. I think he doesn't realize the weight of the words he says. I think he's just an egomaniac who thrives off being the center of attention and loves to say things that will keep the attention on him. I think that's even giving him too much credit because it's not calculated. I think he's just a spoiled crybaby. I think he's a child. 
And I'm not saying he's not a racist. I'm just not... I just can't understand. I just cannot understand. And when he came out that third time and said those things, that was incredibly upsetting. I'm Jewish. My wife is Jewish. My children are Jewish. My children are looking at the leader of our country saying these things. He has, the danger of what he said, he has given this white nationalist, this white supremacist, this Nazi movement, he has given them legs. He has given them the feeling that it's okay to come out from the shadows. Our president supports us. And this is terrifying. He has, he's just made them feel like they're right. I mean, I know they felt like they're right before, but he's made them feel like they have the support of, of the leader of the country behind them. Enough so that, that, Maybe, you know, maybe he's not looking at it like, I'm going to, I'm one of you, but he's basically saying, like, you have, what your view, your viewpoints are just as important as those who oppose you. And I, I mean, I guess I, I would have, I just can't understand that. I just can't. And he's given them a platform. He's given them legitimacy. And maybe you gotta, you have to inspire the rats to come out from the shadows in order to cleanse the area of them. But I think there's a lot of violence coming. And that terrifies me. It terrifies me as an American, terrifies me as a Jewish man, terrifies me as a father. But I don't see any positive coming out of this. Because now they have that feeling that they are justified more than ever. There's a word I used yesterday, I can't think of it right now. So I started to watch... Vice News episode 181, which I recommend everyone see. And it was a journalist, vice journalist, went to Charlottesville, not knowing what the fuck was going to happen. Filmed the entire day. Interviewed many of the white nationalists. And happened to be where that car was when it plowed into the crowd and, and it, it it I had to turn it off. It is the most upsetting thing I've ever seen and I can't believe in 2017 in the country I grew up in uh, that this is happening. I can't. And and I look as as a Jewish male, uh, I have white skin. I probably I, I blend in easier. I mean, sure, you can look at me and guess 
I'm white, but I can be Italian. I'm not Aryan, that's obvious. I look Mediterranean. And maybe now, like I, I never felt like, you know, just by the way I look, I would be treated differently. And I'd imagine for a black person, that is the case. I can't speak from that position. But I imagine, but now after this, I feel it. Maybe how others who their skin color is more evident. Maybe how they feel it. And it's it's awful. And here we I mean we're I'm only five three days post President Trump saying those things. And he has not come out at all and offered and you know, he's supposed to be the moral leader of our country. And this is an immoral man. I mean, and when he was running, there was no question about that. I mean, some of the things he said, some of the things he did, there's there's no morals to him. All he cares about is making more money and looking more more powerful. You know, there's a certain way he carries his head when he walks into a room where he's kind of looking up with his nose up to everyone and, and, and subtly nodding. And it's, it's a disgusting gesture, and I don't trust it. And I never did. I don't trust anyone like that. It says, I'm feeding off the attention you're giving me. It says, look at me. I, I am important. It says I'm better than you. And it's disgusting. I mean, where are we going to go from here? I mean, we have the vice president supporting his statements. And, you know, I'm seeing people I know and people I like posting about Robert E. Lee, Robert e. Lee being a great man. And you're missing the fucking point. I understand that they were there to protest the removal of the statue. That's not what I'm talking about. But after what happened... To then feel the need to get behind the Robert E. Lee ideal, you're tone deaf. Something horrible happened, and then it was made worse. I mean, it's like as if after a terrorist attack, I don't know, I can't equate it. It's just tone deaf. Sadness is, a, is, is the only thing I can see justified in feeling. But feeling like you need to stand up and be like defending the like why that statue should remain. I don't give a fuck about that at all. That's not what this is about now. I understand that was that was the the inciting incident. But what happened after that is is it's all that we should be talking about. So where do we go from here? We're six months into this. This is what's happening. 
president is dead silent on the issue because he's a fucking child and really doesn't care about trying to be a moral leader in any way. And I, I've not been political on this podcast, but this is not political. This is this is cultural. I mean, we're we're talking about some scary shit, and I'm uh, so that episode of Vice. I wait. I had to turn it off after ten minutes. I mean, it wasn't just seeing the car. I mean, that was horrifying seeing the people reacting after the car and the sadness and the pain that was caused. and But seeing the absolute hate, I mean, it starts with, I don't think, I didn't realize really what was going on. I mean, I had heard on the news what was going on, but when you watch this and see what was going on, it's a fucking eye-opener. Hundreds of white males marching with torches screaming something to the effect that Jews will not take my home on on a college campus I I just don't it, it was horrifying horrifying That's enough about that. Uh, I do encourage you all to watch that episode. And I'm making the assumption that, you know, if you were a Trump supporter during the election, that's fine. But at this point, I don't understand how anyone can be. The man is tearing apart the threat of our country in so many ways. And I'm not even talking about whether he's a racist or not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he is a force of absolute chaos. And he's too dim to realize. Like, I can't even say this is a calculated, intelligent man trying to tear apart the country. It's just a side effect of an egomaniac who only cares about the attention he's receiving and the money he's making. I don't know where we are a month from now. I don't know where we'll be four years from now. But I, I can only hope that everything he does helps people wake up. I mean, look, I understand the government was broken and fucked up. Oop, hold on, I gotta press pause. Okay, sorry, I had to take that. Yeah, I don't want to keep going on. You get the point. Uh, it's just a scary time. And it's... I don't, I don't want to keep going on and on. And I want to bring everyone down, down, down. Because here we are with uh, part two of my conversation with Jim Mahfoud. And, and this was our hip-hop talk. And it's a fun one, and it's just, you know, let's uh, let's put all our our sadness, our anger, and everything aside, and let's just let go, because this is a good hour of just joy. So, 
Um, please continue to spread the word about the podcast. I see it growing. Please follow me in all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all of them at Ink Pulp. If you find me personally on Facebook, I, I'm not. I, I'm trying to keep Facebook to friends and family, but I have a page. That's my Ink Pulp page, and that one needs some love. So get on Facebook and click like. And I think that's about it. Let's let's uh let's get into this. There could be an interruption at any point with uh, Italians. Several legendary comic book artists could be knocking on your door to interrupt this at, at any moment. <laughs> this podcast. I'm on the edge of my seat. Um, all right, I think we're sounding. Matteo, the spitting game at the uh, Tapas restaurant tonight. That was awesome. Seducing young waitresses. She liked everyone. Yeah. Like, do you think he just capitalized? He was the only one to capitalize on it. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, she kind of made it clear, like, uh, yeah, any of you guys. I'm yeah, down, yeah. I'm down. When we we walked in, a crew of us walked into this tapas spot tonight in Denver, and it's like ten, you know, handsome, confident, extremely talented godly, artists, godly, mostly bearded or Divine. mustachioed, right, yeah, darker yeah, right, men, right. and the the main. <laughs> Attractive hostess girl at the restaurant when we walked in was like, "Oh my, I'm overwhelmed right now." Yeah, she did say that, and I was like, "Dude, this is this is on. This is." Uh... <laughs> we all said that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was like, "Hey, can you blame her?" There's, look at this no, lineup of, of dudes. But, uh, but Mateo is the only one that reciprocates in any way, and then everyone's like, "Mateo's a stud," but no, he just he just took a little initiative. I think. Yeah. It took, um, well, he did drink six Jameson ginger beers at and dinner. And how long? How, how was that, an hour and a half? It's like an hour. <laughs> that, that was a lot. Was, I mean, I had two wines, and I was pretty, but I also had some candy. Yeah. Some lovely. We're in Denver, so you know what what happens here. It's like, this is a stony show like Seattle. Yeah, totally. Even like, more so, because people smoke out in the open here much more than Oh, that's true, Seattle. yeah. But I, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. the fans are slightly stoned. Most of the pros are slightly stoned. Yeah. And it's have, just sort of a... Have you ever had a, a fan bring you edibles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, people brought us lots of weed in Seattle. I've had I've had buds, but I mean like edibles from the dispensary in the package yeah. and everything. Like, yeah. That's pretty awesome. I've also had people bring me like the sodas and the drinks yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I saw those this time. I've never had those. And... Um, I mean, dude, if you're only in a spot for three days, sometimes you're just not going to be able to uh, use all this stuff. Uh, unless you fly at home. Oh, that's true. Which is what I do. You risk. What's the risk? I mean, I mean, seriously, like, let's get down to it. Like, this yeah. is my. This is how I justify it. I I'm in here. It's legal. Right. Okay, I get fucked up all weekend. Yeah. And the shit's in my bag, and I wake up, I'm still half drunk. I throw my shit in the bag, go to the airport. Oh, shit. It's still in the bag. Yeah. All right, so they catch you with it. All right, you're still in Denver. This is true. So I understand that maybe the airport is a is a different territory. Yeah. Into itself, which is probably the case. And we, we don't need to bring facts and logic into this equation. <laughs> right, right. Um, We're just speculating. But no, here's the thing. Like, I spoke to 
to our mutual friend James at, at Oni. Yes, he like did research, and the Denver in the past year uh, found two people with it, and what they did was they made them throw it away. That's it. I mean, what are they going to do? It's like a slap on the wrist. Like, how big of a crime is this? I, I would say minimal, especially if you just have like a little amount. Yeah, I'm not bringing back, and I'm not bringing back buds. Yeah. They're edible, so they got to be harder to find. Yeah. But. I think you're good, dude. It's Well, I, I mean, I, I do it. Yeah. I mean, like the first year I did it, I was like sneaky. I bought a bag of like real gummy bears and then put the fake gummy bears in with the real gummy <laughs> bears. And But then like after a couple of years, I just threw the whole package. In you there. got like super elaborate with the disguise. Yeah, I did at first. And now you're like, man, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I fly with edibles everywhere I go. So yeah. leaving Denver is my safest way to do it. Yeah. So. You're, I, you're, you're good. Yeah, you know, I'm good. I, I do it. You don't want good stuff to go to waste. No, and I can't, I mean, it's not legal where I am. And honestly, the main stuff I'm flying home with is CBDs for oh, right. medicinal reasons. Like, right. That's the honest, like, I'm not looking to get high. I'm looking to have medicine. Right. And so that's my story. I support you. It's here, the, here, I love hearing that. The jingle of the, the ice. This has become a weekly tradition. We <laughs> eat a huge, incredible meal get slightly high and then have a drink like gentlemen and yeah. talk. I feel great. I, I'm, I got a stomach full of that. That was one of the great meals. Yeah. We just chowed, man. That was yeah. amazing. I had a lot of, amazing. I, I had a couple of glasses of wine. I ate some weed candy. Mm-hmm. And now we're having bourbon. Good so to go. I'm in the right spot. So we're, we're, we're going to talk about hip hop today. Cause we didn't do that. And I think we kind of have like a lot to talk about. Yeah. Let's get into it. All right, so let's go back. Uh, how old were you when you first... Do you remember first hearing it? Yeah, I remember like in 85, 86. I was like 10, 11 years old in St. Louis. Okay. And hearing... We had um, a radio station called Magic 108, and it was just known as the Black Station. Was it AM? No, it was FM. Okay. And they played you know, what people would call urban music now. But right. at the time, people were like, it's the Black Station. They play funk and electro and hip-hop. And I remember hearing, like, freaks come out at night right. and stuff like that. Right. But then one real, real vivid memory I have is um, right around Christmas in, I think, like, 86 or something, I was driving with my family downtown St. Louis right by the brewery. It was snowing, and UB Illin came on the radio, Run DMC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I had maybe heard of these guys, Run DMC, but just hearing part of the track, so, it came on and like my... But be Illin, if memory serves me correctly, is after Rockbox. Yes. It's the next album. You be Illin's like 86, right? right. So you, Rockbox didn't hit you? Ah. Uh, because that I, was my first. Okay. Like, what the fuck is like this? Like Beats to the Rhyme and all that? Yeah, yeah but Rockbox, and specific, like the song oh, in right, specific. right, right. Was like, what the fuck am I hearing? I don't know if I got that. I mean, I'm, early. Little, I'm, I'm older than you, so it might be by just why. a couple of years. Yeah, I'm yeah. 72. I'm 75, but we, yeah. So when I, but when I heard you be Illin on the radio, that had a huge impact on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, I listened to your and Scotty's hip hop discussion, right? And when you mentioned like Run DMC and Fat Boys yes. together, those were two of my main. Yeah. Thanks to Run DMC and Fat Boys, right, Jailhouse Rap, like yeah, yeah. 
That record. Yeah. Fucking great, man. That's, dude, so much. Hip hop at that time was party music. Yeah. Like it was, I mean, Run DMC kind of took it into its own space. I mean, hip hop started as a party music scene. Mm-hmm. And then Run DMC kind of took it and made it into something else. Yes. But it was party music. And, and even with Run DMC, it still had those party elements to it. Right. That's what's funny to me about hip hop is it started as this like colorful celebration of life. And then it became like, I mean, it, it went in many different directions, but it became very dark and real at oh, some oh, yeah, point. Yeah. But it also became very... Um, Materialistic. Clownish. Clownish, yeah. Like when the late 90s, early 2000s era of like Puff Daddy and like shiny shirts and music videos, dancing. When when that clown element came around, I was like, none, I'm not interested in any of this. This is not. All right, well, we're, Luck- we're jumping ahead. We're, we're finish jump- that, finish that. Well, I was just going to say to finish that thought, luckily at that same time, um, the underground and like Stone's Throw Records say, was at its and, height and, with yeah, like and, and Mad Lib yeah. and, and Ruckus, right, yeah. and that was all. Yeah, we'll get there. That, my saving grace. But that was the Renaissance. That, I mean, yeah. that was the rebirth. And and a lot of people I remember just saying hip hop just sucks now. I'm like, well, you're missing like Def Jux. Right. Like, there's something big happening here. Yeah. And you're totally missing. There's still things happening. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Um, so that kind of introduced you hearing yeah. you be Illin. When did when when did the sickness hit you? Was it then? Um, kind of, yeah. Just because, uh, th- um, we st- I started trading tapes with like my friends during that era, okay. like dubbing tapes okay. for each other. So, so it became the, were the tapes recorded from radio. Yeah, you're what, dude? This is casual, man. <laughs> What's up, Mateo man? Mateo walked in. Mateo is in the house. Where's your buddies? Uh, they went back to their room. They're gonna wake up soon. So. Oh, I Are the, brought a knob creek. A knob creek for for me. For whoever. All right, well, Holy just shit. put it down. <laughs> you okay, could, I, knew, I knew that I couldn't bring more in. All right, you gonna hang out while we, we talk here? No, just put it down. Whoever needs it will grab it. I like holding it. The room, right. dude. You're double fisting in a professional manner. I like it. This is awesome podcasting. <laughs> All right. So um, you, you were saying. So we were dubbing tapes, you and know. Hold, hold on. You guys Tr- can talk. Like, oh, they can actually hear us? No, 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 no. I mean. You, oh, you, we can talk because they cannot hear us. They can barely hear you. So it's fine. It's texture. Yeah. You can fart if you have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have to, You're good. Go ahead. I'll save it for later. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, Jim. Go ahead. <laughs> no, we're good. Um... We were dubbing tapes. What were we talking about? And it was yeah, like... so dubbing tapes from the radio? Were you recording from the radio? That From radio shows, but also from like the dual cassette radios, right, which is right, actual okay. tapes. The reason I ask is because when I got into hip-hop, it was an AM station in D.C. called WEBB. Right. And it was all hip-hop and go-go music. I don't oh, know shit, go-go. Yeah. Let's see. To a lot of people who weren't from that area, like you, you probably knew of go-go. It was this really exotic thing. Yeah, we didn't have it, though. But just being right. a music head. It was head, only D.C. I mean, yeah. Go-Go was only in D.C. Yeah. But so I would record from WEBB, and then you'd put tapes together 
where like you you would just record a block like a whole side of sure. the tape and then you'd record the good songs onto another tape right and okay that's how we made tapes that's why I'm asking that's the shit so you were curating yeah we were basically making hip hop mixtapes because we were weeding out the stuff we didn't it wasn't just go go and hip hop I mean there was all kinds of stuff in there but right like. I would I would say I want this tape to be go go so I just transfer all the go go and then like this is hip hop and then sure. I transfer all the hip hop and then all the R and B stuff I, I most of the time at that age I neglected. Okay, I did too, sort of. But the thing is, like during that era, when, and then like I think when I was in eighth grade, Public Enemy hit okay, big that, for us. That's the turn with like it takes a nation of millions and all. And and when that started happening, I was also listening to punk rock like dead kennedys and all this and so to me all of those were like super angry um socially you know socially conscious but fantastically well done records that i listened to as just pure enjoyment but also i was getting like this message from it right and that's when i kind of knew that punk and hip hop were both like these serious uh messaging services right. of, they were of very they were cousins and it was they're absolute cousins connected for me yeah it, well like i think i said on the last time we spoke that was when like i was really i was a skate punk kid and i was really mm-hmm. punk and this is like i had been into hip hop in the earlier days and now i was like a little older and it was mainly skate punk and that's when like there was this this guy who was on the football team Oh, right, right. Did we talk about yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so he made me a tape of what he was listening to. I made him a tape of what I was listening to. Yes. And we kind of like, it's kind of similar. Yeah. That was Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions, and EPMD for yeah. me. That was Two, like, three of the best yeah. of I mean, all time. Yeah, it changed my life. It, yeah. So I, I went through that uh, era, was sort of like high school, and then... When it started to get into the early '90s, and every record coming out was become was a classic. Okay. That 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 is the era. Then that that was the golden age, right? Like because right. my freshman year of college was '93. Okay. So in '93, it was like, in, in constant rotation was Illmatic, yeah. Far Sides, Bizarre Ride to the Far oh, Side, That's so um, all of the Tribe stuff up to that point, right. all the De La stuff, uh, Ice Cube. Uh, um, um, we, were still, we were still we were still bumping Death yeah. Certificate and the Predator, Wrong. and then Le- and, the Predator. and then Lethal <laughs> Injection, which isn't his best record, but that dropped in '93 as well. Has some greatness on it. Dude, Ghetto Bird on Dude, that really is... Though, really though, really is the <laughs> slowest rap song ever. Yes. It's so grimy. I love that song. So, all that, and then of course... Then like fucking Wu Tang shows up and stuff. All right, all right. We're, so we're, we're, we're skipping through the best. Like yeah, Wu Tang fucked shit up. But let's yeah. go back um, to those days. That for like that was a time where I feel like hip hop had come out of the come out of its infancy mm-hmm. and was now in its ad- adolescence. Right, and it was the the most. Um, uh, formed the it had become uh, and mainly I, I'm not gonna say everything, but mainly it was New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, you got the far side coming out of the West Coast with something that sounded like no one knew where this was even coming from. Dude, they record. were on another level, yeah. I mean, they really were on a completely another level, yeah. Um, but that era of hip hop was it, it defined itself. Mm-hmm. Like it went from like party music, it, and then there were bands like Public Enemy that got socially driven. But then it became there was a lot more art in it. I felt like yes, and, and just fun. And every record had its own unique thing about it. 
Do you know what I mean? And dude, I knew something interesting was going on because like Bizarre Ride was the first record where we would be in studio and in art school, and even like the hippie girls and people would be like, put on that. The far, far side, side thing. Put like on that far side record album. Like it, it had, had this strange. It had a comedic like, like bro feel to it. In it, while being the purest, most original hip hop yeah. I'd ever heard. But dude, it was still so funky. It was like it, no, no, no. Yeah, it, it was, was, was steeped in R and B and funk and, and yeah. Um, I, they had a song of your mama jokes. I like, know, I know. Who does that? But then you go from that to um, she keeps on passing me by, mm-hmm. which is the most soulful. Like mm-hmm. it's almost an R and B track. Yeah. And then other fish like and yeah. oh shit! Like the first yeah. track you hear is. It's so ridiculous. Soul Flower is one and, of my and they personal were coming favorites. Coming out of, out of, out of like Crenshaw, which yeah. at the time all we suburban white people knew of Crenshaw was N.W.A. and Dr. Dre and gangster rap, West sure. Coast gangster rap. So they were coming from that scene with a almost like such an artistry. They were like the Beastie Boys of the West Coast. Yes. That's like, a good comparison. And then they link up and, you know, they do drop. and Yeah. Yeah, but... I'm, Dude, I'm that record, though, for some reason, it was just like everyone in art school was ag- agreeing that like this is just a great record a great to put record. on yeah, in studio. It, it, it crossed all boundaries. It, it, it was, yeah. Yeah, and that's when I kind of noticed like, oh, hip-hop is becoming its own thing. It's right, like growing right. out of just being rap music. Right. And it's... Now, something else behind it. Yeah, it was, it was it was maturing as an art form. Right. But at the same time, the New York underground was taking it in a very different direction, mm-hmm. one that I was obsessed with. Like, okay. I love the far side, but when, when like, Black Moon first came out, and oh, Smith shit. and Wesson yeah. and Mob Deep and Illmatic, and it was the New York underground, and yeah. that was it. Like... Mm-hmm. Everything like I, I mean, I loved stuff. I, I liked the West Coast stuff at the time. Yeah, but there, there was something about that sound. It was, it was just gritty and grimy and and. I feel you. Oh god, yeah. that stuff, dude. The Mob Deep shit when Prodigy just died. I, I went back and revisited their catalog, and I was like, "Fuck, I forgot how good." All this shit is that they yeah. did in the early '90s. It's all oh, yeah. oh, amazing. Dude. I loved Mob Deep up until um, the third album. I still loved. Okay, yeah. But then, like when they broke off solo, Prodigy's first solo HNIC record, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but Havoc released a record like two years ago called Thirteen. It was thirteen tracks. Right. And everyone slept on that thing. It was so yeah, good. so good. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because like when I got to college and art school and was getting immersed in all this hip hop stuff, it was also the first time I met real life DJs and MCs in Kansas yeah, City, where it was. You lived- and and all these guys were throwing their own parties, and that also directly fit in with the whole DIY like comic book right. thing that me and Mike Huddleston See- were doing. And so for me, I'm like, oh, this is. Everyone's just doing their own thing. Like no one's waiting for anyone to say, "Hey, you can have a party. You can do this." Right. They're just making their own parties and making their own flyers and stapling them up around See, town. It's at this and- time where hip hop becomes a very—I've always thought of it as a very personal music, a very private, solitary music. Because I, for me, hip hop was alone in my car or headphones while I'm drawing. Right. 
and you were living hip hop. Like you were at parties and immersed in it and you were getting to know DJs and your artwork was a part of it yeah. all. Whereas mine was very separate from it. Like it was becoming infused. And that's when I kind of experienced it as the culture. Right. As hip hop is like, oh, it's the four elements. It's mm-hmm. like breaking, MCing, DJing, graffiti. And then that's the other thing is I started hanging out with graffiti writers in Kansas City and, and like going out with them at night and just watching them paint and I tried painting but I was a toy I wasn't ever good at it really? yeah I just wasn't I would have thought you I would try characters and stuff but I just couldn't really get it down but the thing that I took from it that I use still in my style to this day is that just ballsiness of like taking a can there's no sketching and you just go up to a wall and you just like fucking make a mark right, and you're just right. and I'm watching these guys and I'm like oh shit dude they're just painting they're yeah, just their going for it it's their whole body and, and I was kind of like what if you just took that same approach and applied it to just drawings on paper? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like back yeah. in your studio and you just were doing your thing, but approaching it with like, fuck it. Let's just see what happens. You know, it's funny. Cause for me, graffiti became like, I, I sprayed a lot, but mm-hmm. what I was more interested in was this, these planks of wood I had in my room because like you wanted to take what was done on the wall into your sketchbook. Right. I wanted to take what was, in my sketchbook and bring it like, like shrink down the wall. Yes. So like I was real, like I had this big plank of wood under my bed and paint markers and everything. And I would do graffiti small. Oh, I I see. But I was more interested in, in drawing on this wooden panel. Okay. Bringing it. uh, It's like we, we had opposite experiences with it. Did you get good at, um, like can control and actually using the cans or I I got okay. Okay. I mean, uh, we're talking, I'm talking of like I was spray painting like when Beat Street was out. So yes. I was not spray painting when it became like people were doing mind blowing shit. Right. I loved graffiti, mm-hmm. but when I was doing it, I mean, it was just enough to have like a strong outline with a solid fill with a little fade. Sure. Um, but and you, you probably know. were using like just like simple Krylon yeah, paint. Krylon like, yeah, Krylon that I was I was stealing from the yeah, uh, Heckinger's. That's you know? how we were rolling with it I mean, it we too. didn't have the option of buying fat caps. Yeah. And we didn't have like detail caps. Like There, there was, was none no of caps. that. It was what was on the fucking spray paint. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, if you got another brand of spray paint, you could pop that cap off and get a slightly different effect. Yes. And you know, I just... I, I really enjoyed the rebellious element of it all, but I was always more interested in like the characters and, and yeah. bringing it into, well, how do I make this as part of my aesthetic that I'm going for in like my books and right, my, you know, right. the attitude of it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, oh, it's evident. I mean, it's a party. Yeah. But early in my career, I was, you know, I've sort of like lied to everyone. I was like, yeah, well, I was a graffiti writer. And it's like, <laughs> really, cause you know, when my comics first starting hitting I'm in the mid late nineties, people were like, yo dude, do you, do you write? Do you, do you write graffiti? I'm like, yeah, I was, I was a writer. And I'm like, that was a toy. Well, I, just, I, I saw 40 ounce comics and I saw your style. I was like, dude's a graffiti <laughs> artist. I can admit it now. Cause I'm older. I don't care but yeah. it's like when you're younger certain things are really important it's like yeah man I was part of that was, yeah but hip hop was a part of your work for sure yeah for right. sure that's evident but you know I enjoyed that as much as like the punk aesthetic of just do your own thing right. put it out hustle your shit sure. promote it and that's what all these guys were doing but I love that like underground just party vibe that was happening at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm like, I, 
I romanticize what your life must have been like. Like it just must have been this crazy fun. I mean, no regrets on my end. I I, I had a lot of fun. Sure. Just thinking like, wow, what would that have been like? It must have been incredible. Yeah. Like just to be in it like you were. Like there's a DJ spinning in your painting right behind them. Yeah. And that was the next thing that happened in like, I think we talked about it last time, but like in 97, I moved to Arizona and then I met like, Z trip and these right, top right. Yeah, DJ guys. That, yeah. And then I was painting every week on stage with them. So, and that was a whole other. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that thing. We, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that's incredible. But I, I want to go back just to where we were. Sure. So like for me, that era of hip hop, I pretty much would buy everything <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. everything was, was like great. Yeah. I mean, even stuff at the time where I would like, it was like a B lister. If I put mm-hmm. it on now, I'm like, God damn, that was fucking good. still fantastic. I mean, I was just thinking of like the Lost Boys the other day. Oh yeah, and, wow. And so much like leaders keep, of the new school. Leaders of the new, you know, they're doing one now. Oh shit, really? Yeah, Busta. And the, the whole original whole, lineup. The whole original. Wow, lineup. dude, did you get? Do you remember the Goats? Of course. Did you? Yeah, both never, their records. I, I got the first Goats, and it, it didn't get me. Okay, I tried. I th- I thought I would really like it. I think I still think it's really really good. It's a super heavy like skit heavy album where there's yeah. a story that goes throughout yeah, it, and yeah, yeah. in between every two or three th- songs there's a skit. But um, it's a really interesting, I think, awesome early '90s hip hop record. Out of that era, what are what are your your like musts? Like um, if someone's like, hey, tell me about that era. Yeah. What are like the must they they like you got to listen to this. The early 90s for me was all about Illmatic. That yeah, I think um, that's probably Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. Yeah, sure. I was still obsessed with Ice Cube at the time, yeah, so I was it, too. his records up to that point. I was also super into um like Gangstar. Yes. Um that, Hard to Earn yes. had just come out. Oh, dude. Um, yeah, Hard to Earn came out. It fucked tons of guns and yeah, it fucked me up. Dude, what was so great about their records him and Premier were such a good duo. And like most of their records are only like 10 or 11 tracks. Yeah. There's no skits. There's no filler. It's just no. like 40 minutes of dope music and you're in, you're yeah. out and there's no they are fuss. Kind of like, there's no muss. No. And, and it's, it's just it's Premier beats. Just solid. Just the best, the, like the most solid, uh, unique producer of that, yeah. that like him. I mean, yeah, sure. Showbiz defined his stuff, but Premier. Yeah. And and gangs, uh, guru. I mean, yeah. they were just they were his a voice. Duo. Yeah, and then of course tribe, um, low end theory, midnight marauders, right, right, De La, um, De La Soul's dead, De La Soul's dead, Mind and Soul. Blue Mind State. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. the Prince Paul shit. I love. I even love. Um, um, I, I think I know what you're gonna um, say. F- f- fuck. Give me a second here. Stakes say- is high. Oh, I love that, Stakes is Stakes High. Stakes is High was like 96, 97. Dude, or? I love Stakes is High. That record. Most Def's first rap yeah. appearance. Yeah. Right off the Cosby show. Yes. Wow. And then, dude, do you also remember I and I that was produced by Pete Rock? Yes, yes, yes. I still bump that record. Yeah, that's, that's a classic. That's a really that's good that record. That's reggae vibe. Too. Yes. Yeah. And it's them. It's like super... Pete mellow Rock is delivery. One. Like you talk about Premiere, there's also Pete Rock who must not be slept on. Yeah. So all that stuff was just I thought you were gonna when we Prince Paul for me was kind of like if this guy's behind it it's genius like I thought he was like the secret 
Yes. Like, no one really understood. Like, he's the man behind Tribe. Oh, he's shit. He's the and, man behind Dela. And Grave Diggers. I, oh, that's the one. Okay. Dude, I love okay. Well, that's where I thought Grave you were going. Grave Diggers. See, now, Grave Diggers just fucked my world yeah. up. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Six Feet Deep yes. is one of the greatest hip-hop records ever recorded. And uh, so I was going with Prince Paul. Like, everything he did, I was behind. Yeah. And then comes Grave Diggers, and he puts together this this super group, and he Dude, pulls so in good. at the time this guy called the RZA, mm-hmm. which people don't know about, but are about to discover at the same time mm-hmm. he's behind the entire Wu Tang Clan. But here he is on Grave Diggers. Yeah, that that to me is it's the genius of Prince Paul, and and the brilliance of Prince Paul is that he transcends because I don't know if you know this, I, I you probably know this, he did a kids album about thirteen years ago called the Dino Five. Oh, I don't know about and that. And it was him. Oh shit. Wordsworth from oh, Punch and Words. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the, the um, uh, um, what's his name from the Jurassic Five, the deep voice. Um, oh, Charlie Tuna. Charlie Tuna. Yeah. And Ladybug from Diggable Planet. What the fuck? Are you it's kidding? The Dino Five. They each are a dinosaur character. It tells a whole story. And I could put that on for my kids and I could enjoy it the same way I could any Prince Paul project. And they fucking loved it. That sounds amazing. And it's dope as hell. I have to check that and out. Dino Five is great. Wow, okay. It's a great, great thing they did. And it's a complete kids rap record. Okay, I need to check that out like, for sure. Like Charlie Tune is the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Of course. And uh Wordsworth is another I mean they're all I think I think Ladybug is a triceratops. Okay. And like it's like all these songs, like the Tyrannosaurus Rex is the carnivore out of the crew. Mm-hmm. And he's like, like it's funny little skits too. That's cool. Because he comes on like, what, you don't need hot dogs? And they're like, hot dogs? What's a hot dog? <laughs> That's and amazing. Like, meat. And they're like, meat? We eat vegetables. Okay. And so it's very kid-friendly, but it's hilarious. That's cool. And it's and good. Dude, speaking of Ladybug, uh, Diggable Planets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Blowout Comb, when that, the first Blowout. record's great, when Blowout yeah, came Blowout out. Comb. And then, you know, Gravediggers kind of paved the way for me when I first heard um, when Dr. Octagon came out. I was oh, still in college. yeah. And that well, is another record that I vividly remember, like, sort of flipping the script for all of us, where all of us were like, what the fuck well, is again, this now? Cool Keith comes from Ultramagnetic, who was <sighs> underground New York. Yeah. So they were. it was like the building blocks of everything were, were in place there. Yeah. Did you so, listen to Ultramagnetic? I did. I did. Yeah. But, uh, dude, it... Dr. Octagon no, no, I, I, I had a huge... I mean, did he sampling like classical music? Yeah, and then Cubert scratching, and it was a creepy, and it had the horror core vibe to it. it wasn't the automator part of Octagon? He produced it. Right, right. And um, Sir Minelik was also rapping on it, but that was a record that us being in all in art school, it was just such an arty, weird yeah, departure from hip-hop that did people... Did you get the instrumentals? I did later. Yeah, yeah. But when just the proper record came out, all of us were like, With dude, the what the too. fuck is this? Yeah, Pusshead. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You had this, so, this punk rock metal album artist doing a hip hop record. Yeah. yeah. That was, and then, and then around that very same time, the very first DJ Shadow record mm-hmm. came out. Introducing. Which everyone was like, well, this is the next level of hip hop now. It's, and people were calling it trip hop or whatever. Right, but it was called trip it's hop. Like, well, or it's like, well, acid jazz. It's really just. <laughs> instrumental hip hop. Right, it's, that's exactly what it was. You know, and I got it. That's when Ninja Tune records hit. Ninja and I got Tune, deep in Ninja Tune. Yeah, the Herbalizer's first record. Yes. Um, yeah. Not DJ Shadow. DJ. I can't even remember. They had anymore. so many. 
But this good DJ, people this on DJ there. did a, he's a Japanese DJ, not not DJ Shadow, another guy. Oh, oh, um, you know who I'm oh, talking shit. about. But he ended up doing a record with a live jazz trumpeter. So while he's spinning, the trumpet's playing like live. Okay, and that's one of my shit, favorites. Man. Yeah, DJ. He was on Ninja Tune. Um, he had a, his first record had a blue cover. That what I liked about Ninja Tune. Oh, was Crush, DJ Crush, DJ Crush. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and he he uh, brought that blue note vibe back to yes. the design of his records, which I, I remember really that enjoyed. Yeah, and dude, Ninja Tune. Um, do you do you have that three disc? I do the Ninja Tune ultimate sampler, yeah. set they put. It's yeah. so fucking good. It's great. So that the, all of this was happening while like mainstream radio hip hop was be turning into shit. That's when that's when uh Master P and his I, label and Juvenile and his label yeah, and I wasn't, took over and I just had zero interest. Yeah. So we went we went further underground and further experimental. And then that gets into almost like the yeah, late 90s I think when you probably went more I, I was talking about when I'm like well when Stone Soul came along and Madlib this guy yeah, who's like the yeah. Frank Zappa of hip hop well, I'm like this is my shit now you this get is Madlib's first group Loot Pack that record that, I, I mean, love that's that record hip hop yeah. like that's kind of like well this is what Tribe was when they first came out mm-hmm. like Loot Pack was fucking awesome and it was Wild Child Madlib and uh, uh Declaim yeah yeah, and an MED metaphor was he in it? Mm. Or no, I think he was a guest rapper in one of the tracks. Okay, okay. Was... Yeah, it was Wild Child, Madlib, and to claim, I think. Yeah, yeah. I thought um, was it three or four? I'm trying to shit. There's yeah. some hip hop head out there that, listening, like screaming at us right album. now. What was the name of the album? Um, God damn it! Yeah, I forget too. But I've that's had a classic. I've that's had a, too much meat and drinks at this yeah, point. There's, to, no, there's no blood in my brain; <laughs> it's all in my stomach. But man, the record though from Stone's Throw that flipped the script for me is Madlib's first Quasimodo record, The yeah. Unseen. Yeah, I read about it in um, this magazine. They were like, "This guy produced this record on." Mushrooms and we and I'm like, th- well, I was like, wait, what? In the hip hop, that that really, I mean, I feel like right now, like they were the kind of fathers of bringing psychedelics into hip hop. Yes, yes. And like the past few years, psychedelics have made their way into into hip hop, not in a like this is new and let's be crazy and psychedelic, but in a more mature fashion. And, and I think like, like when I hear like an ASAP Rocky record, I'm like, this is just psychedelic hip hop. Like, oh yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Like in, in a very high artistic fashion. Yeah. Not that, I mean, that stuff was too, but it didn't seem to catch on till for like, they were pretty much innovators with that. Right. Bringing it psychedelic in and, and it stayed in a little pocket for a long time. Yeah. And then it kind of hit. And now it's kind of popular. I was just looking for something new. So when Madlib's first stuff and that, like I said, that Quasimodo record, dude, in 98, 99, when I was working on the first Girl Scout series, I would get high and listen to that first Quasimodo record every day in my studio, yeah. every single day. And I just couldn't get enough of it because, you know, you, when you're, this, this when is you're... like 99, okay. 98, okay. 99. And okay. when you're a young stoner, you're like, you want to be in the mind state of sure. like, and, and I could just listen to it and be like, dude, this guy was so fucked up when he made this record. This record's awesome. And right. I could just, it became it part of. from like the 60s. Like, that's like true. During, like in the Haight-Ashbury, like there were just so much psychedelic music going on. Like 
nobody you've ever like. There's a band called the Thirteenth Floor Elevators. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've heard of yeah. them. Yeah, very few people have heard. Like I yeah. was obsessed with them because they were right in the heat Ashbury and they were so psychedelic. But nobody, they never. There was no lasting impression right. unless you really looked for them. And they probably a lot of those bands didn't even make more than like one record. Right, right. But they might have been around for a while. But, but they, they made were the like type of record where you listen, you're like, this guy was taking acid, yes. man. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned all that because, like, that's a phase I went through recently where I ran out of like stuff to listen to, and I and I started to get into like all the '60s psychedelic stuff. Yeah. But I got into the bands that that made records trying to bite like what the Beatles did with Sgt. Pepper. Okay. So there's this whole era in like '69 of bands that were like who? trying to make. Because I got like, into some of that. There's stuff a band um, called Road. And their record is just called Road. And dude, it's a it's a fantastic, just psychedelic masterpiece with sitars and everything the Beatles oh, were yeah, doing. Yeah, There's yeah, another yeah. band called Hurdy Gurdy that put some stuff out. And um they're just and and at the time they were knockoff records, but if you listen to them now, you're like, this is still better than anything being done now. Yeah, the, I, I really got into before Grace Slick was with Jefferson Airplane. She was in the Great Society. Okay, yeah. And there's one record they released of them that is just mind blowing. What is that record? It's called Grace Slick and the Great Society. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay. And it's I need to fucking awesome. Get that record. Yeah. And then Jefferson, were you into Jefferson Airplane? I love, dude. I yeah. got deep into the airplane. <laughs> like I really got not Starship. I was gonna say Airplane. Like yeah. they were like when I got in college, when I got into my psychedelic age of music, they were the top. Okay. Airplane. Like volunteers. I mean, that was a rebellious, anti-establishment, anti-government, anti-war. Right? Like, that was just a right. balls in your face, like, hardcore social message, psychedelic music record. Yeah. I think that stuff's awesome. All right. So you got an airplane, too? I did for a bit, but I didn't. I also didn't go to the, like, starship level. No, I never went to starship, but that, that airplane stuff was great. The thing I look for now and the thing I've looked for most recently is, like, Bands where people are actually playing instruments and it was produced right. like not perfectly. There's still blips and scratches and, yeah, and mistakes yeah, yeah. in the production. I, I want that like homemade feel to it. Sure, sure. And luckily, man, there is so much music from that era that you can just still discover. Sure. You know, and I just discovered like I just got into Frank Zappa like six I was just years ago. Ask you about him and like, went I, I don't down know the much, but deep. Wormhole of Zappa, dude. And I I basically got every record of his now. Yeah. And it was this, a buddy of mine, this guy, Eli, was like, he knew that I was a jazz and funk fan. So he was like, here's the Zappa record I think you should start off with. And he was totally right. And it was Hot Rats. And it's a record where there's lots of instrumental, like, funky, jazzy licks on it and that immediately was like my gateway into this incredibly warped world of Zappa he's he's a genius for sure Uh, yeah I don't doubt that but you know you have to you have to wade through like 50 records to find what you (laughs) want you you might be like well I don't like this record but there might be another record that's like your favorite record that you haven't discovered yet but he's one of those guys man of like are you willing to go down the fucking wormhole of wading through like 40 different records of material? I've I've always like appreciated like who he was and what he did. Oh yeah. I just never really dove into his music. Yeah. Um, 
Let's, let's get back to hip hop for a second. Yeah. So when you were getting into the more underground, independent, experimental hip hop, were were you into, um, like the New York stuff? I mean, you said you're into Mob Deep, but like with Biggie's first record, is that something that that hit you? I wasn't into it right when it came out. Because all of us were so, me and my friends were so underground at that time. We sort of rejected the whole Biggie, um, um, Puff Daddy hit stuff when it first started sure. coming out. I, I, my, my instincts did the same. My only, my East Coast stuff, dude, was like the super thugged out shit, like Wu Tang, mm-hmm. and then the arty stuff like De La and Tribe, right, right, and like the Mob Deep. But we. We weren't, if it was on the radio, we were like, no, no. Right. We're not. But when, but when Biggie first popped, there was a, there was a small time frame there where he wasn't radio. That is true. I just missed it. I just didn't. Yeah. I like it. It it came out very close to Illmatic. Yes. And I remember like Illmatic spoke to me immediately. Yeah, like, me too. Me too. Holy shit. Yeah. But Biggie, I felt like the first song I heard was the song with him and Method Man, the what I think it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I heard like some more poppy songs. And I was like, eh. But then I heard Warning. Right. And right. that changed everything. Yeah. Because that's still one of my favorite yeah. songs. You can't. You can't beat it. So good. Yeah, for some reason, Biggie and Jay Z weren't on my radar when they were See, first coming out. Doubt for me, Jay Z's first record. That wasn't a pop record. That was DJ Premier. It was like Pete Rock. It was, it was all New York producers mm-hmm. who were doing all the stuff I liked. And Reasonable Doubt rocked me. Oh, yeah. Because as a lyricist, I was like, this guy is on fire. Now, I heard Jay-Z, a lot of people don't even know this. If you go to Big L's um, uh, record, Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous. Yeah. Oh, Big L. Yeah. yeah I got a good story about Big L. Um, but there's a track on there. Um, I think it's called The Graveyard. And it's like his whole crew. And the very last person to rap on it is Jay-Z. Oh no! But shit. This is before reasonable. This is after Hawaiian Sophie. Uh huh. But this is before reasonable doubt. This is right before he's about to make Rockefeller. No shit. And it's fucking. It's a raw ass verse. Okay. I'll have so to... that got me to want to get reasonable doubt. And shit. I I'll have to it. revisit that. But then, like his second record was when he went really poppy, and I was like, ah, uh. there was some like, like some old like gutter Jay-Z on there that I enjoyed, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of like poppy shit. And even hearing him talk about that record, he's like, that wasn't me. You don't want it? You sure? Yeah, but you're almost done. All right. Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> Cheers. I guess I'm drinking Hell more. yeah, man. You're always welcome to interrupt. The full delicious glass. Oh. Um, so yeah, I feel like his second record was a misstep. But he pulled yeah. it back with with his third. Um, it's weird how I was. I was all. It's funny because I was always a Jay Z fan. Okay. Yeah. And then my uh, friend of mine in L.A. Uh, Nick. He um, he's a writer. He texted me today. He's like, because he he's hip hop deep, like we right, are. right. And he's like, so what's what's your thought on the new Jay Z? And I I 
forgot it was even coming out and I really had very little interest in it. Yeah. And he was telling me how much, how disappointed he was in it. I was like, you know what? This is the first time I've, like, even Jay-Z's last album, when I knew it was coming out, I was excited for it. And then I was like, this is okay. Sure. But now I just feel like it's done. You're, you're kind of over it? It's not that I'm over it. I just feel like he he's no law, like, he has nothing interesting to say anymore. Yeah. Like... I get it. My friend, like, my friend and I were talking, Nick, and, and Nick was saying, you know, what we always liked about Jay-Z was he was very honest about where he came from and who he was. Sure. And sure, he's grown and matured, and now he's this billionaire with, with a world-famous wife, and they're having kids, but... Up until, and this is what my friend's problem was with this album, was he was no longer honest. Oh, okay. It was, yeah, like, yeah. it was like very preachy, he said, and it's like, what I always liked about you, Jay, was no matter how much money you had, you could walk into a underground rap party and freestyle with DJ Premier, because oh, that's shit. who Jay-Z yeah, was, yeah, yeah. and I feel like that's gone. Yeah, that's not because good. I remember even that's... hearing like at like a underground rapper's birthday party, where like a popular one in the real hip hop scene, uh, where like Q Tip would be and Busta Rhymes would be, and Jay Z would be there because mm-hmm. he was still that's where he came from, and he was still in touch with it. And I feel like he's just he's gone from it. I don't know. Do you yeah. grow out of hip hop? Like, that's the question. Do you hit reach a point with success and maturity where you, this is no longer going to work? Maybe he did. Yeah, but. Right, he did. But does that mean it's inevitable or can some people keep it going? Like can Ice Ice Cube doesn't keep it going. Yeah, that's true. Dre keeps it going. Yeah. Dre definitely keeps it going. I've even had like my times of being in and out of hip hop as a fan. Do you know what I mean? Like where I'm like, ah, I'm kinda it's not my era anymore. I kinda uh, take I, I don't hit, I never hit I kinda take breaks from it, but then but I, I, I go back to like the classic records though all the time yeah you know and i mean there's fewer new things i'm listening to but then when something like run the jewels comes along i'm like this is fucking great kendrick is fucking great of course i think Um, you're missing a lot there's so much i know so much right now my little brother my brother dan is an incredible dj and he's he's like he tries to feed me new shit but sometimes he's like Dude, this isn't going to be probably what you're interested in. You I know? disagree. I, I like I've I've had like with Marvel hip hop covers. Yeah. Like I, I had this guy come up to me at Heroes Con, and he had me sign because the first one I did, they gave me some choices, and in the choices was Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. Oh shit! Back. And it was like when Axel offered it to me, he knew what he was doing. Like, yeah. He knows me, and I, it was like. If there was one hip hop record I could do a Marvel cover for, it was that. Yeah. And it was Guardians of the Galaxy number one, and they were in the wow. coaster in space. So it's a good that was one. real important to me. And then Razkaz reached out to me, like, how do I get one? No shit. Yeah. And so I spoke to Razkaz for a while. I, I still kind of talk to him here and there. And I, I'm trying, I'm lobbying for him. And, right. And Axel at Marvel's like, yeah, it just has to fit. And uh, so I'm hoping that happens for him. That'd be amazing. Yeah, well, Soul and Ice is definitely in need. Yes. But it just has to fit the narrative of whatever the book is. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. But um, oh, oh, just, oh, a, just, guy, a guy came up to me, and uh, he had the um, the far side one for me to sign. 
and he came out. He had a like I could tell he wanted me to like just join his team. He's like, "What do you think <laughs> of all the covers they're doing now? Like, it seems like they started doing all the classics, and now they're just doing whatever." And I was like, "I, I was like, you know, I know a lot of people may not like what's popular in hip hop now, like Future, right?" And I know, like, if you just judge it based on what Gangstar was, it doesn't fit. I was yeah. Like, but hip hop's grown and matured, and it's become open to so many different things. It's true. Like, I was like, just shutting your mind off to it because it's not, it doesn't come from the tenements of the boom bap and the MC. You, you out of here? I'm sorry. Jeff, take going? care. Have a good are night, you, man. Are you going back to your room? Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to make a sandwich. Okay, Mateo. We're make a sandwich without the, without the hostess. Uh, do you want to get breakfast tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Text in the morning. Okay. What? Gonna be we got to get there early. There's another place on Chamber down, but closer to my hotel. If you want to try that. Uh, I, that's fine with me. Let's text in the morning. The podcasters love hearing us make breakfast. Guys, sleep plans. tight. See you tomorrow. Ciao. Have a good one. Um, what were you just saying? Oh, oh, so I just said to him, I was like, you know, like hip hop's growing and maturing and it's so diverse right now. Yeah. Like, just don't hate, give it a shot. Well, there's something for everybody. Right. So I mean, even I was like to, to say just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's legitimate. I was like, right. And he came around. He's like, wow, man, that's a really cool way of seeing it. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, Try listening to it that way now. Yeah. Because I was shut off to it too. And then like Future got into me and I was like, this is fucking awesome. Music. Oh shit. Okay. I still need to check out that record that you Dude, recommended I'm to me. I'm telling you. You texted you talk me. About psychedelics. Like just a Future record will just, there's a sound. It hits you in the chest like hip hop does. Like okay. it just, it's, it's a visceral experience. Yeah. Very different than what you're used to hip hop doing to you. Sure. But. But I'm an open-minded open guy, guy when it comes to music. I love it. I'm not opposed to new shit. My Lyft driver who dropped me off at the airport yesterday to fly out here was playing Logic uh -huh. for me. Uh -huh. And he was like, he broke down Logic's whole record that takes place. It's like a storyline that takes place in outer space or something. And he's like, dude, do you, you have to just listen to some of these tracks. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, a lot of this is cool. This, this guy's rapping yeah. his ass off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not... I don't want to be the old man who's like, ah, hip hop now sucks. Right, you know, right. there's there's none of that. But it's there just... was that period where it did, and I think it spoiled yeah. it for a lot of people. Like, yeah, I don't think the like um, no limit records and and the uh, cash money click were doing anything really fun or really good. Yeah, but out of that came stuff that I initially was shut off to because it came out of that. Right. But I'm now like, huh. They might have come out of that, but they're doing something I really enjoy now. Yeah. And did you get into like Odd Future when they first hit? Yeah. Tyler yeah. and all that? Yeah, that yeah. I, I, I liked, I mean, Tyler's incredible. I liked it, but it just, there were too many turns down an alley where I was like, this is weird, <laughs> man. Right. You know, like, right, I was right, like, right. if you would just stay here, yeah. I would love you to the end of time. That's funny. You keep going down that alley. But out of that Earl sweatshirt, I love. Yeah, Earl is and the shit. I really enjoy Frank Ocean. Yeah. Quite a bit. His record's great. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't get his last one, but his orange record is fucking amazing. Oh, Blonde is better than orange. Oh, shit, really? Dude, Blonde is mind-blowing good. Wait, what? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm making a list. Yeah, I'm, I need Blonde to... is crazy good. Shit, okay. 
Um, uh, so there were people that came out of that. Uh, Casey Veggies came out of that, I believe. Yeah. And I really enjoyed Casey Veggies. Um, uh, SK LaFleur came out of that, I believe. I don't know. Is that, who's that? He was one of Odd Future. Is he SK part LaFleur? of the crew? No, S. Kayla Flair. He has one mixtape out called Atlantis. Okay. Um, Shit. But I'm just waiting for him to drop a record because he's really solid. Yeah. Um, but Earl Sweatshirt is really something Fantastic. different and amazing. And every time he's a guest on someone else's tracks, great. those are always great. great. Yeah. And I mean, you got even like Action Bronson, which is just mm-hmm. 90s hip hop now. Yeah. Like awesomeness. Yeah. A big white dude who sounds like Ghostface. A big, fat Armenian dude. It sounds like a, and then they have a beef. I, well, I know. I think it's, Axel at Marvel tweeted something brilliant to both of them that was like, "Can you guys please get along?" It's like watching my my favorite uncle and like my my favorite brother in law <laughs> not get along. Right, like, right. It was pretty cool. You're from the same mm-hmm. strand. It's just uh, something is strained here. But I don't know. Hip-hop. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, um, did you hear, you know, Flying Lotus from Brain Feeder Records? I, I'm not, I, I know the name. I'm He's a fantastic familiar. DJ producer. He did a record like one or two years ago called um, Captain Murphy. Uh-huh. It's like his alter ego, kind of an MF Doom kind of thing. And uh, no we, one knew. We didn't even talk about MF Doom. D- Doom's one of my favorites too of all time. But we got to um, go back to KMD. But, oh, dude, I know. <laughs> but this Captain Murphy record that Flying Lotus did is absolutely fantastic. Is it instrumental? No, it's him rapping, but all the voices are modulated and changed, so you can't tell it's his voice. But it's a very bizarre, psychedelic record, and the theme of it is Captain Murphy, this character he's playing, is a cult leader. And the record is like his recruitment record. Uh So there's all these brilliant samples that he found from all these old cult recruitment records in between these funky bugged out shroomed out tracks. And for me being like the Mad Lib fan, I'm like, this is fucking awesome. (laughs) This is the shit. I have to tell you before I forget, speaking of doom, I had a phone conversation with doom once where me and my friend miles were going to try and direct this music video for doom off of his, um, Oh fuck man. What was the name of the record with the white mask on the, on the front? I'm trying to, it was, um, ah, shit about mad villain, not mad villain. It was after that. It was, um, was it just him solo? Yeah. Doom project. Um, God damn it. Anyway, we had this pitch. Wait, was that, that's not the one Sanford did the cover for. No, um, fuck. I almost want to look it up on my phone right now, and we'll can we pause this for a second? Or yeah, we can talk. I just feel like know. I feel like it's going to drive me well, crazy. MF Doom comes from a group called KMD, which came out of like the late Daylight era. Yes, out of that scene, and, and it was he was still named Zeb Love X at the time, and his brother. Right. Uh, what was his brother's name? His brother got killed. Got hit by a train. Yeah. Right. Now, you might remember Zeb Love X from the Gas Face song that Dude, Third Base did. Third, that's another guy. Third Base we didn't mention them. album. I love Third classic. Base. I love Third Base. They were they were wonderful. Portrait <laughs> of Artist of a Hood is great and Cactus album. Two classic albums. Yeah. 
And they they were like they were like the only. I mean, you had the Beastie Boys, like they. But the Beastie Boys kind of did their own thing, and they were they were artists and experimenting and doing crazy new innovative shit. Right. The third base was just underground New York hip hop, but they were white guys. Yeah. Dude, Derelict's a dialect. I love that record too. Yeah. With uh, Pop Goes the Weasel. Wait, oh right, Portrait of Artist of Hope is a track on Derelict. Yes. Well, yes. that album lyrically is fucking. It's on phenomenal. fire. It's on fire. Now, now, Search's first solo album is amazing. That I, I, I also can't get enough with Live at the Barbecue, where we first hear Nas. Yes. Holy shit, that's, that's right. And Large Professor. Okay, so before I forget, the Doom record is called Born Like This, mm-hmm. and it came out in 2009. It's got like the white mask. Okay. So anyway, I, I knew this guy that was working with Doom, and he was a fan of my art. He hit me up. My friend Miles and I pitched this concept to Doom for a music video where the mask of Doom is going through the through history, through the ages of humanity where there's like an Egyptian Pharaoh that has it. And there's a guy in like Renaissance times that has it. And we had this, that's a comic. We had this bugged out conversation with him on the phone where he was into our concept, but he was basically speaking to us just in like riddles where he was like, the mask is doom and doom is the mask. And we're like, yeah, we, we know. And, but he didn't really say anything other than that. And, and we, we were just like, well, cool, dude. We, we're huge fans and much respect. And we, and we got on the phone and Miles and I were like, what the fuck was that conversation about? Awesome. I don't even know what it was about. And then it came, it came time for like the business part and they just didn't have the money to get us to make a fully animated Video for Doom. Okay, now this brings me to a good topic because I think people like you and me and, and probably Scotty and, and I know Sanford, we probably come all to the point where we're meeting and working with oh, these yeah. hip-hop artists. And 99% of the time it becomes this like weird fizzle-out thing mm-hmm. where the face of the music industry shows itself and you're like... I don't want to go near that shit. Oh, right, right. Is that what happened to you guys? Yeah, I've had dealings like that. And um, when my buddy Z Trip got signed to Hollywood Records, which is owned by Disney, I did the interiors for the fold-out of his major-length debut. Yeah. And it was like an illustrated history of Z Trip from New York to Arizona. And dude, the artwork, I had people wearing t-shirts that had like public enemy run DMC on Disney freaked out and made us change all of that. They were like, we don't want to risk these artists suing us. And Zach's like, dude, it's hip hop. It's an homage to them. They're, they know me. They're not going to sue us. And they're like, our legal department says no way. And so I had to dealing with all that. And then we were supposed to do a video for Zach for that record. And that, fizzled out and it just became labels and I did it was weird it was biohazards tour t-shirts no shit you might even know you might know them uh it was like spring of 95 maybe okay I did um there there was one song called what makes us tick and I did this profile, this guy screaming and his brains were gears bursting out of his head. Oh, wow. And I did biohazard and graffiti. Okay. And then there was another one and it was like, a, I forget the name of the song, but it was just about like, it was an anti-racism song. So I had like this Cypress Hill, like, like not Cholo, but like just West Coast gangster dude. Like, right. Like 
hand like doing that like hip hop handshake with like a, a punk rock tattooed oh, beast cool. of a dude. Yeah. And like their hand it was so bad. I mean their hands were shaking <laughs> and there was like a drop of blood coming out. Like right, Blood right. Brothers. Yeah. And it, it is biohazard and graffiti again. But I, I did that. Dude. And you know, that was a cool experience. But that, you know, they were toying with House of Pain at the time. So then I was talking to House of Pain. And then I got in backstage, or not backstage, um, it was at a TV show at BET where West, West Side, uh, West Side Connection, West Coast Connection, what were they called? West Side Connection? West Side Connection, Cube, WCM, Mac 10. I think West so. Yeah. Yeah. Connect Gang. Um, where they were being interviewed and afterwards I had them, I was showing them all my artwork and like Ice Cube was cool and WC was mad cool and then Mac 10 wanted to hire me but then he was just a prick. Oh shit, okay. And uh, yeah. and then like a week later I was, uh, a guy I knew was trying to produce a new R&B band who my friend was in and his roommate was True Goy of Dela. No shit. Yeah, so like I went to oh, his wow. house and hung out with True Goy all night and like I was talking to True Goy about doing stuff. And, the Dove, and, True yeah, Goy the Dove. The dove. Um, I just had a lot. Of, and then like one day, I had a lot of crazy music shit happen. I was a bartender at a golf course in Columbia, Maryland, which is just like the suburbs. Whoa. And I'm bartending. When, when was that? What that, era? That was uh, like 95, 96 after I graduated okay. college and was trying to get my art career going. And like I had to move back home and get a local job and like... And you obviously weren't married at this time, right? Oh, no, no. Okay. No, no, This is no. like younger... Yeah, I was like 23. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was with... I was getting back together with Steph, who would become my wife okay. later. Um, but yeah, so I'm sitting at the bar... And Reverend Horton Heat just sits down right in front of oh, me. Oh, shit. And yeah. no one knows who he is. And I'm just looking around like, is that him? The Reverend's here. Yeah. And then like, yeah. there's one guy who was a waiter. And he was the only one who knew anything about like, like hip hop and punk rock and music. And he's like, dude, that's Reverend Horton Heat. And I was mm-hmm. like, I, th- I thought so. So then I start, I talk to him and he's playing that night. I, I, and I, what I would do at the bar was work on my my pages, my sample pages. Right. And so he kind of saw that on the down low, or did people just see you? They didn't no, care. Just at the very end of the bar, it was a golf course bar, okay. so it was kind of like chill. I would like just work until someone ordered a drink, and so he saw that, and then so he got talking to me about art, and he was about to release "It's Martini Time." Oh yeah, and yeah. I yeah. did the cover for "It's Martini Time" at first. And then, like, he loved it, and I uh, did this whole man's ruin thing with Reverend Horton Heat, and then I just Shit. remember he called me up, and he's like, record company wants to go with a photograph of me because it's important to promote my image. And, like, he was apologetic, yeah, but yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, I see. Like, you're right. I mean, you're trying to sell yourself, not me. It's one of those and things, I, yeah. That, it was after that. I was like, I'm, I'm going to stop with music because yeah. it's not about me. It's weird, man, because, like, every... Indie hip hop guy I've met is usually a huge fan of comics. Like there's this just For sure. intermixed formula there between right. the two. And um but yeah, sometimes just working with like the labels or the But this was a uh, different you know. time. I wasn't working in comics yet, so I didn't okay. have that prestige. Yeah. Um You were an artist dude who was like meeting these people and they were yeah, saying I was like hey, trying to get a, an illustration career going and sure. 
And uh, now, now that I work for Marvel and DC, plus it's a different time. Yeah. Comics are huge. Yeah, and the the marriage of comics and hip hop is is massive. People react to it, to it in a much different way. Very, very much so. I got to do um, when Slug from Atmosphere and Merce were doing those felt records. Mm-hmm. They did. They. It's like felt one was a tribute to. Um, Christina Ricci, I think, and it was just like this hip hop oh, record. Really? Felt Two was See, a tribute that's to. Stuff, that's very abstract stuff, yeah. and I didn't get into that stuff. Felt Two was a tribute to Lisa Bonet, and uh-huh. I did a illustrated adaptation of the record that's as so a one shot cool. comic that Image published and put out. This sounds familiar. It came out in like, fuck, when was that? Oh, five yeah, or I don't, I, I don't I know, but the record and the comic weren't packaged together. So it didn't really make sense <laughs> right, in a way. Right, right, and then the weirdest thing that happened, man, is I, the cover art for the comic book that I did, I was at the uh, Troubadour in LA one night and I saw a guy at this concert. I don't remember what band it was. I saw a guy wearing a shirt with the artwork from the cover of the comic book on it. Oh, and I went up to him like, where the fuck did you get that shirt? He's like, I got it from Rhyme Sayers website or whatever. And I'm like, oh no. Like I had to call the main guy from the record label and be like, dude, you can't put my art from the comic book on a shirt and sell it. Like you have to tell me right. and cut me in on the money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. it was like indie hip hop and yeah. he didn't know that he had done something wrong. Sure, sure. And I was sort of like, I, I just ran into a guy in LA wearing my shirt. Like how many of these have you sold? Right. Right. kind of thing and he's yeah. like we'll cut you a check tomorrow and FedEx it to you kind of thing and yeah. it was okay but I'm like fuck man like yeah. indie yeah. music there's just no rules yeah. and there's they're just sort of like they're trying to survive yeah and I but I understand what you were saying earlier about you you kind of like hit a wall where you're like yeah I don't, I don't know I if I'm gonna work with these people anymore right I, I'm like I, I'm like I don't know uh, if Scotty got involved or did I don't know if he hit that, but like I, I often wonder if Sanford hit that. But like now it's kind of different. I feel like 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 I did on on the second round of Marvel Hip Hop Variants. I did a Jean Grey cover, rapper Jean Grey, and it was Jean Grey number oh, one. Oh right, right. And then I was like, I was going to New York. I was like, and it was around the time it was coming out. I was like, let's do a signing and. I, like Jean Grey, the rapper, freaked out when she found out like they were doing a cover of her as Jean Grey, who, she, of course, she named herself after yes. as a rapper. And she grew up going to Forbidden Planet in New York, and she's a huge oh, like, cool. nerd on, and grew up on comics. So when I reached out to her, I was like, let's do a signing. She like freaked out, and she was like, okay. I was like, my art deal will set it up. I'll be in touch. And then he set it up at Forbidden Planet, and then she freaked out again. It's perfect. Like, That's a story I grew up going to. Yeah. So, like, that was really cool, and she's really cool. Uh-huh. And, like, as we're signing, she's like, so what are you doing? Like, she's kind of like, I can tell what she's doing. I'm like, what do you got, Gene? She's like, well, I got a record. I was like, I'll do your cover. Oh, shit. Nice. And, yeah, and, and that, that was, like, coming from it from a different angle because it's like now she's like, I'm going to get this Marvel artist to do my record cover. Yes. Rather than before, it was like, I, this kid I met, he's cool and he does really cool shit. I'm going to get him to do a record cover. It was different. Oh, yeah. So, and like, I'm also coming at this, like, I'm not expecting much money, if any at all. Right. Because I, I know, I mean, she's an independent underground artist. But that's more of a, like, for her, 
it's like a bucket list thing. Yeah. And it is for me too. But before, like when I first came in, it was like me getting something out of it and them just. Yeah. Getting- but you're like, once you draw Batman, yeah. what you've done and people find out, they're like, this fucking guy's drawing Batman. Right. I'm going to get him to do my right. album exactly. cover. It, changes, it really does. Yeah, it, it, it flips the script. Yeah. Where Once you've worked for Marvel DC on, on, on an X-Men property yeah. or something, like, yeah, it just, it changes everything. That's something you can tell and someone and, and anybody knows what that is. Do you know what I mean? Like, I had those gigs where my parents didn't know what I was doing with indie comics or whatever, but I'm like, I got to work on Spider-Man right. at Marvel, and they're like, well, I know what that is. Right, that's Spider-Man. Right. That sounds, that's, that's huge. Oh, wait, there's a movie coming. Like, yeah. Huge. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, when I drew the Guardians of the Galaxy, like, it was at the time the movie was out, but I was thinking, like, 10 years ago, if I told anyone they got Guardians of the Galaxy, they'd be like, what? They might not know what that is. They have no idea what it is. Yeah. Most people in comics didn't know what that was. Well, dude, I remember the Jim Valentino right. uh, you do. illustrated comic book. Right, right. But I knew, I knew the comic book because a, a friend of mine I went to school with like worked on it for years. Yeah. When he got Who was that? Brad Walker. Okay. Was he the penciler? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah. shit. Okay. Yeah, this is probably in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s okay. he was working on it. I apologize for not knowing that, Brad. No, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, there, there, there's there's something different now. Yeah. Where, I mean, a lot of the rappers came up fans of this, but now it's also pop, pop culture. Yes. So it changes it. It's all blended together. Yeah. It's a crazy time. It uh, yeah. really is a crazy time. I like it. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of content. It's hard to keep up with things, but I, I like that there's a shorthand now yeah. where a lot of people who come to my table, just they're like, you drew Tank Girl. Like, I worked on Tank Girl for a minute. They're like, I know what that is. I love that. What's your right, other shit? Right. Well, That's my right. immediately my, my, my immediate in with them. See, yeah, for me, if, you know, it's like I can go one of two paths. I can say Batman, Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Like, which one? Those are both huge, yeah, too. Like, you'll connect with me on one of those two. Yeah, well, everybody knows what those are. Right, right. You're good. I mean, yeah. do they ever ask you, like, about like your own stuff or your, you know, like what, what you're doing outside of that or they just want the, the shit that they like? Um, no, uh, there are, there are people, there was a panel I was on today. It was like a storytelling panel. We were all talking about like working from scripts and, and how we, you know, visually tell a story. And sure. One guy asked, well, you guys talk about like how much of, you know, you have to be a, understand writing to do, do, do you want to do your own thing? And all of us were like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I a mean, natural progression. Yeah, of course yeah. we do. It's great to work on Batman, but I also have ideas of my own. Yeah. So yeah, people, people, well, also now it's a very healthy time for original ideas. Yeah. 10 years ago, people weren't that open to it. I know, it's, man. I mean, it's, You've always been doing your own stuff. So you were one of the few people that really always were doing that. Yeah. I just think, yeah, new ideas are should be welcomed with open arms right now. Sure. Well, and they seem to be. Yeah. I mean, the success of, of what Image is doing now, there's a lot of original love concepts it. coming out of there. You know, a lot of people at shows only know what they love. They'll be like, there's a Batman thing or there's... Right. But if you can, if you can hook them in... 
and try and get them, you know, into some of the new original IP, original sure. ideas. That's for well, me where it, it's a, it's easier. Now. I mean, The Walking Dead. Who saw that coming? That's true. And that wasn't an old established property. Yeah. I mean, that was a fairly new thing. That's when, still pretty recent. Yeah, it's not that old. It's yeah, maybe ten years old. It's amazing, man. And the and the show itself is like eight years old. Yeah. So I still, did you watch the show? I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I watched. I, I did. I think I'm done with it though. Okay. I think the last <laughs> season. Was enough's like enough. I mean, I watched it at first because my friend Tony created this. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, I I remember when they were making it, mm-hmm. and it was like Tony was drawing on Kirkman's couch in a living room. And it was this little like DIY we can do it zombie book. Right. And I remember it coming out and it was like, this is pretty cool, like seeing they're actually doing this. And it was still like it was struggling yeah. to 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 keep its footing. And then to see what happened was just crazy. It's phenomenal. It's crazy. Absolutely not. No one could have predicted, I no, guess. No, and and it's lightning in a bottle. You yeah. can't you can't capture it, you can't predict it. But so people, more people, or as many people are aware of that as like the Avengers, but it's not as old. So right. it's a new idea. Yeah. I mean, there's still hope for like new shit to break through. For sure. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah. It's just like, let's get some new. I mean, it's good to see like Mateo, like just, he's on issue 42 of Black Science. It's incredible. Yeah. It's insane. Are they just keeping that going till um, for however? I don't want to spoil anything, but okay. There's an end. I just and I know exactly when it is. I don't know if they've revealed that to the public. Got it. But I think from the start they're always like it's going to be this long. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe he's not on 42 yet. Maybe he's on 29. I can't. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's on like 28 or 29. I got the first couple trades. It's fucking great though. Yeah, but and, and, I mean Rick's got a whole line of them. Yeah. Uh, like all original ideas, just it's, it's all that stuff is great. That's yeah. it's intimidating to be like on the same label as those guys and being like, well, I can't write on this level, but I can do something on a different thing right, that's absurd. With, there's nobody and, that can do what you do. Okay, good. I mean, that's, that's what that's I'm just the going truth. for. There's yeah. nobody that does what you do. Uh, that's what I'm going for. And nobody can do what you do. Yeah. But and that, the, but that's all we should all go for. Yeah. It's just being ourselves and doing what we do. Be your own level. Right. Be your own... Yeah, it's not a competition. ...little niche or right. whatever. Yeah, totally. You know... So yeah, I don't know how we ended up here, but it's a good place to end up on. It's that's my that's my lesson, kids. Be your own yeah level. Hip hop leads to creative individuality. Well, for me, <laughs> that was I guess actually, dude, that's a good way to bring it full circle. Is for me, hip hop always was about being original yeah, and yeah. and putting out interesting, political, funny, funky, psychedelic, bugged yeah. out, stony ideas, sure, and sure. that informed my art and my DIY aesthetic in a huge way that that's what I associate with hip hop. Sure. Some people might just think of it as being like silly club music that you grind on with people. I'm like, well, that's part of it, but that's not my thing really. That's I'm on this other thing with it. Other plane, you know, (laughs) so it can be many things and maybe comic fandom or whatever can be many things. It could just be like you're into Batman. Sure. I mean, you've got people who read Preacher, and that, that's a very different book than someone who just... That's one of my favorites. The, yeah, me too. Honestly, that's like... 
I would love to do a book club. Not preacher, but just something that's so original and dark and funny and out there and mm-hmm. wild and but still completely engaging. Yeah. I would love to do something like that. Would you team up with a writer to do something like that? Or would you try and maybe take that on a, on your own at, at one point in the future? For that project, I think I need a writer. I need another voice. I have projects of my own mm-hmm. that I will write. Okay. For that one, my voice, it, it, I need another voice for that. Okay, yeah. Because I don't know, like when I read like a Garth Ennis book, I'm like, there's a voice. That's not my voice. Yeah. And I want to do something with that voice. He does have a specific voice. Yeah, yeah. So I am talking with a specific writer about doing something. Oh, cool. Okay. he has a specific voice that I really like and want to see us do something with it. That'd be the shit. Yeah. But I also, like that's also a step towards, I mean, my first, my second published job was something I wrote and drew for heavy metal. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like, and like, I I came from a background of writing as much as art, like growing up. Right. Creative writing. Like when I was in college, I might have majored in illustration, but minored in creative writing. Okay, cool. So I I do want to get back to that. That's definitely a plan. What year did that heavy metal story run? 98, I think. Oh, shit. So a while ago. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, it was It was a sample, like, I went to, it was after my first job, and I was having trouble getting work, and my style had completely changed, and I went to San Diego Comic-Con, I was like, I'm just going to write and draw, like, an eight-page thing of my own, Yeah. and feel like, that's me being honest, like, this is me. Sure. This is what I want to do, and showed that around, and that got published in heavy metal. Okay, cool. Wow. Did you talk to Kevin Eastman? Well, yeah. What happened was I showed it to Kevin for some feedback, and he's like, hey, I'd like to publish this. And I was like, what? Done. And, you know, it was like, it took like a year and a half, but it got published. Okay, nice. Kevin's like the sweetest guy, oh, right? Dude. I, I like, I, I keep, like, I want to get him on here. Oh, I'm sure he'd do it. You just need to be in the same right. city as him. I, I have been a couple times. I've been nervous to ask Grab him. him I don't for know if he remembers. Like, I want to say, dude, thank you for putting me in heavy metal. Like, yeah. Fuck, dude. Like, my Gra- work will never see circulation that big ever again. Yeah. Like, I was around the world in that book. Just get, I was in heavy metal too, but it was in like, but it was through him and it was in like, Oh, eight or something. We did like one of my, um, I have this character, Carl, the cat that makes peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah. We did a Carl in space story <laughs> in heavy awesome. metal, but he took me to lunch cause he was living in LA at the time we hung out, talked. He's like yeah, the nicest guy. dude in the world. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, the money isn't great, but I can pay you. And you can literally do 10 pages of whatever well, you what, want. I mean, mine was a something. And that's what, <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah, so I had no intention of, I had no idea this would be published. It was just me like saying, what do I want? do i want to do this and just doing it and then he published it yeah that was awesome it's the shit you just need to grab him dude for like an hour you know for a show and just some city be like dude can i just get you for an hour of your time yeah yeah talk or whatever i would take and i shouldn't yeah that was a great show i was telling you at dinner i really enjoyed that i like hearing like the old older Guys that are that still have it. I, I need talk. to get that. Like that's important to to catalog right now to get those talks in. Yeah. Because um, I've gotten a chance to become like buddies with Sinkavich, and I'm not name dropping here, yeah. but having interactions with him or meals with him and just 
talking about the craft and like See, the eighties and all that. It's fucking fascinating, I man. Get him. It's amazing. I really want to get him. Um, Klaus, I can get because he's oh, in my group. Yeah. Maybe I could get to Frank. Oh, that'd be the like, shit. That would probably be the biggest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Did you? You know, I did DMC on here. I need to listen to that one. And I got Elmore Leonard, who's my favorite writer. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Holy shit. Crazy. So I, I, I saw a DMC in the list, and I'm like, that's another one I need to check yeah. out. And like, I need to do like, I, I'm supposed to get together with Killer Mike. Oh wow! And then I would like him to see if I could get him on here. Yeah. I mean, Gene Gray, I should just get on because we talk a lot now. That'd be amazing. Yeah, there's a lot I want to do, but but I want to get that 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 like crew. I got Chaykin. I want to get Simonson. I want to get Sinkevich. I'd love to get Magnola. I doubt that would ever happen. I'd love to get Frank Miller. That that's yeah, like that's a pipe dream. That would be. I could probably get Klaus Chan. Frank's maybe. back out. We were talking about this at dinner too. It seems like Frank's kind of back out there. Yeah, the problem is talking you know, in the world again. Like he's yeah. The problem is, and and I've actually like kind of had some talks about it. The problem is, I think his people will get in the way. Oh, yeah. You know, his, like, PR people. And the only hope I have is that, like, I could approach this from, like, cartoonist to cartoonist. Yeah. Like, fuck all the bullshit. Fuck, this isn't PR. Right. This is artist to artist. Let's talk. To talk, yeah. You know, like, that That would be the only... Like, if he could see it that way, then maybe I could get him. Yeah. I think it'd be awesome, man. It'd be yeah, great. But, so th- these are, I, I need to reach out more. Like instead of saying to my, my, my internal dialogue is like, dude, they this is stupid to them. Like who the fuck are you to ask them? But, but I got well, her taken. So I, I need to, I need to just ask. Yeah. It's just their willingness to talk. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're not, that's fine. But yeah. I need to just ask, but yeah. Your portable setup too. It's like what? What? I need to get a smaller. This one. is the easiest thing. Yeah, I mean, we're in a hotel room drinking after a meal, just talking. And that's how it's, it should be. It's not hard. No, and I won't do it on. <laughs> I won't do this over Skype. No, no, no. The quality. You don't want to do that. It has to be done like you're doing. It has to be recorded with right. both I mean, people sure, in the room. The quali- right. Well, that. How do you have like an, a, a such a personal conversation with someone through a machine? Right. Like, you don't. I've done those Skype interviews yeah, and I'm stuff, always, like, and, and they're my not. Calendar, my email yeah. while I'm talking, like yeah, yeah. This has to be done in person. It doesn't work. Okay, all right. We've gone quite a while. We're in, good. In I'm a good. Good way. Um, yeah, that, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Like two hours later? Uh, it's, it's an hour and twenty minutes. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, is, anything you need to talk about that we didn't talk about? We're good. Okay. Just check out. Yeah, check out Girl Jim Scouts. Jim Food on Instagram and At, social medias. All kinds of social media. It's just my name. Okay. And the Girl Scouts is through Image Comics, and it's a, a book that's out right now. All right. I won't say what issue, because I don't know when you're putting this. Oh, I'm going to put you out August 1st and September 1st. Oh, shit. Okay. So it'll be like issue five of yeah. Girl Scouts. I, did, I meant to tell you that, because you were asking me when, and I, I like... After we recorded the first one, I was like, I'm going to do gym in August. Okay, cool. And now we'll do this one the month after. Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys.
नहीं नहीं 